Locked On NBA, the biggest stories, the local experts. Every Monday, we dig into the biggest stories in the NBA with the Locked On Podcast Network hosts. Today, we'll stop in Boston to speak to John Corrales of Locked On Celtics about the Kyrie Irving injury situation. We'll head to Denver to speak with Adam Maris about the surging Nuggets and their push for a playoff spot. And lastly, we'll go to New Orleans to chat with Jake Madison of Locked On Pelicans about the Pelicans' big win over the Warriors and their playoff push. It's all coming up, the biggest stories, with the local experts on Locked On NBA. You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hi guys, it's your Monday host again, Josh Lloyd, the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast five days a week, and also the lead analyst at BasketballMonster.com. We are perilously close to the NBA playoffs, so we're going to be checking in on a few teams who have got some pretty interesting stories happening as we uh, as we work out these final seedings and what's going to happen throughout the uh, throughout the rest of the playoffs. So uh, let's get stuck straight into it. Now we bring in the one of the hosts of the Locked On Celtics podcast, John Corrales. John, obviously uh, through the week we had some news about Kyrie Irving who won't be back at all, either through the regular season or the playoffs. He's going to be out for four to five months with this uh, with this knee injury. I, I assume that majority of Celtics people sort of had this idea in their head anyway that they were going to be going through this playoff season uh, without Kyrie Irving at all. I, I think we were in a place where we didn't expect him for the first round and we're hoping that maybe uh, on the early end, he could come back some point in the first round, but hopefully for the second. And I think everybody feels pretty confident even without Kyrie, even as currently constituted that any non wizards first, first round matchup is winnable for the Celtics. But that second round is where we were hoping for Kyrie and Marcus smart to come back and have a, a just a, a better chance at moving forward and, and getting our key guys back. Well, the, the interesting that you bring up there about the Wizards, obviously, there are three teams who are in that position to be the seventh seed to to take on the Celtics, and the Celtics are locked in at the two seed. So we've got the the Hawks, not the Hawks, sorry, the Heat. We've got the Wizards, and we've got the Bucks, all sort of in that six to eight zone, and any of them could finish in the seventh seed. And I guess from outward appearances, it, it does appear that some of these teams are, are jostling and posturing themselves to get the seventh seed, not to push up to get the sixth seed because they think that. You know, playing the three is easier, but they think that the, the matchup against the Celtics is going to be, um, perhaps the easier of those first round matchups. How does that, how does that sit with you as someone who's reporting on the Celtics and internally in Boston? Is that the impression that they're getting? And is that, you know, stealing this team together further? Yeah. I, we heard it from the team at practice on Saturday. They were asked about that, that same question and they were like, yep, let them. I hope that they do is what Marcus Morris was saying. I hope that they do because that is a little bit insulting to the guys who are still playing. They take it as an affront to their abilities. Like, you know, we've been going without Kyrie for a little while, but teams, if they, if they think they want in the first round to get a piece of these current Celtics, go for it. They're at the bottom of the standings for a reason. And the Bucks or the Heat, I'm not entirely sure that they're going to be good enough 
to beat the Celtics. Even with Terry Rozier as the point guard, he's been playing fairly well. Marcus Morris has been playing really well, except for the past couple of games. But during this stretch where the Celtics held on to that two seed, we got to remember that even with all of these injuries, the Celtics held on to that two seed pretty strongly and even put themselves in a position beating the Bucks. Uh, wait, they they lost to the Bucks. However, it works out. They they um, put themselves in a position to play the Raptors for the first seed, and they ended up losing that. But they were still there with a chance to get the top seed uh, even after all of that. So they feel very, very confident about themselves. They feel very good about whomever they match up against. Personally, I'm not entirely thrilled about facing the Wizards just because they've got such a dynamic backcourt. And without Marcus Smart and without Kyrie to really run that offense and just take over in case they need somebody to take over, I don't feel great about them facing Wall and Beal. So that's the only first-round matchup I don't particularly like. I think that one would be very difficult for them to get out of. Uh, And then we'll see what happens. If they can get out of that first round, look, if they get to Philly in the second round and Philly gets through that first round, their inexperience could could be a problem. So the Celtics still feel pretty confident that things could lay out right and they can still make a little bit of a run. What's the current status update on Marcus Smart and when he is due back? Because we know, yeah, everyone knows about his limitations, but yeah, we, we had, uh, we had Sam Packard on the show a few weeks ago talking about how important he actually is to the team offensively and defensively. And without Kyrie, he is going to be a huge part. So what's the latest in terms of when he is likely to return? I think they're still expecting him some point in the second round of the playoffs. I don't think he'll be there for that first round series. Uh, it's just a matter at this point of getting that thumb to a point where he can tolerate the pain and and he can flex and function. So I, I still think he's a, at least a couple of weeks away from returning. And uh, he doesn't have to – I don't think he's going to be that full six weeks out, but I, I think that he's very unlikely to get back in the first round. It's definitely going to be uh... – It'd be an interesting thing to see how how this team goes, and they've been getting by like you know, miraculous type victories, like that one against the Jazz a, a few weeks ago. You know, running with you know, five, six rookies in lineups at a time with with guys who are young players, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, taking steps forward and becoming leaders, and running lineups without point guards and, and all this, all these sort of things. Um, in, in terms of you, you talk playoff inexperience for Philadelphia before, for a guy like Tatum who has been so heavily relied upon with this team. With the way that he has handled himself, do you think that there's any concern there that the playoffs you know, perhaps get to him in, in a negative sense? Sure. There's always a concern that if any team has a rookie or a second-year player that they're depending on without significant playoff experience, it's always a concern. So Tatum Tatum is a very mature kid, and he, he seems to be handling this part of the schedule where he's been needed to do more. He seems to be handling that part very well. But once the playoffs come around, we're going to have to see how he handles that if he ends up deferring a little too much again. That's been the biggest criticism of him to, throughout the season, that he tends to defer to the veterans, even when he is the guy on the floor that could probably create the shot, uh, create the best shot for himself. So it, it, the thing with Tatum that it does not apply to maybe uh, the Sixers is that he's going to be on the floor with very good players who are veterans that can't take him aside, maybe calm him down in the moment. So uh, I think he'll have a very good chance of performing well in the playoffs, 
but it is definitely a concern. It, that, that's not a guarantee. One last thing before we get out of here, John. Now, I, I want to say this without being too uh, too negative, but Boston fans haven't necessarily been given the reputation of being the more, most uh, calm and forward thinking group at times throughout their uh, throughout the, their history through through all sports. But the general overwhelming feeling that I'm getting from seeing all these you know, tweets and comments and podcasts about the Celtics is that the Kyrie injury comes out and he's not playing, but they're all saying, okay, well, this wasn't our year anyway. We're, we're looking to the future. Yeah. Um, does the, the team is obviously not sharing that same sort of thought process, but that is the general prevailing sentiment among Celtics fans. It's like, oh, whatever we do this year, it's a bonus. We get experience into these guys and then we get Gordon back and, and Kyrie's back and we do whatever we do with our draft picks next season. And, you know, we, we gear up for an 18, 19, 19, 20 sort of run. That's, that's the overwhelming, I guess, fan mentality, isn't it? Yeah. I, I think, well, once the Hayward injury happened, then there was that feeling of dread, like, well, there goes this season. And they obviously, to their credit, put forth a, a great effort. Each injury, though, I mean, this is this has been such a bad injury season that Gordon Hayward's dog tore his ACL. And that sounds like a joke, but that's 100% serious. Gordon Hayward's dog actually, 100% truthfully, tore his ACL. That's how bad this season has been for the Celtics and injuries. So it, I, I think everybody's just kind of been beaten down to the point where, like, whatever, next season, we, we all have accepted that. And now the players on the floor in the locker room, they are obviously hyper-focused on this next game. But the, the front office and, and even Brad Stevens, they have taken great pains to uh, really be forward-thinking. Guys who are dinged up, injured, they're, they're very cautious about when they come back, how they come back, giving them the extra couple of days to make sure they're not coming back and getting re-injured. So... The team has taken a long-term view of things, so. Uh, but fans are definitely like at this point, it's it's been house money for so long that if they if they end up getting bounced in that first round, it, it's just so much bad luck that I don't think anybody's going to be upset. No one's going to be talking about a lost season, or at least you know, no no rational thinking fan is going to be talking about a lost season. So everybody is definitely focused on next year. We're already looking forward to Kyrie and Gordon Hayward going out there with uh, Jalen and Jason spreading the floor, both being accomplished three-point shooters now with Al Horford. If there's a silver lining to all of this is that those guys have gotten a ton of really good experience and next season they're, they're going to be really, really scary. Yeah, they have got uh, a massive amount of upside on this team, and you know, things can keep on getting added to this team. We know that uh, Danny Ainge's war chest of draft picks. So there is exciting times now as we see what this group of of uh, weird pieces putting together and, and scrappy play can actually get in the playoffs. And we've been surprised by them all season, so we're going to continue to be surprised in April, I am sure. John, you're going to have all that info over on Locked On Celtics. So make sure if all you Boston fans and anyone else who wants to hear about this team, who is honestly a really positive, you know, feel good story for this season, go and check out Locked On Celtics uh, with John and uh, and Jay and Sam. John, thanks for coming on. You got it, Josh. I'm joined now by the host of the Locked On Nuggets podcast, Adam Morris, to talk about a team who is uh, currently riding on the second largest win streak in the NBA, and that is the Denver Nuggets, one of those teams that were currently in the ninth spot in the Western Conference, but uh, with tons of intrigue about whether they are going to actually make it into the playoffs. Adam, um, it's been a, it's been a wild week or so here as the Nuggets have gone on this five-game win streak, and they've got two tough games left to try and push into the playoffs. 
Yeah, it has been an interesting couple weeks for them. I think really the turnaround for them, or when they started looking good, I, I think was the Miami game, and they lost to Miami, at Philadelphia, and at Toronto all in a row. But in all three of those games, I, I felt watching them, you can kind of see the pieces kind of coming together. Nikola Jokic and Paul Millsap figuring each other out, figuring out how to play and what the rotation should look like in Gary Harris's absence. And I think they were getting close to winning those three games, but then immediately after that have kind of put it together and have come into form. Well, the, the impressive thing, not only winning five games is impressive, but the opponents that they've beaten, they've all been playoff teams, right. except for the Clippers, who were still fighting for their playoff chances. They had to win that game to keep their chance of the playoffs uh, afloat. So they've beaten the Thunder, the Bucks, the Pacers, the Wolves, and the Clippers, and their two games remaining are against the Blazers and the Wolves again. So teams that are, are pretty tough matchups, the Blazers... They're locked into the playoffs. They're not necessarily locked into their seed, but they're probably going to finish in the three seed. So potentially there's a little bit of a a foot off the gas there for Portland. But that final game of the season against Minnesota is going to be key. Those two teams are currently tied record-wise. How does it work in terms of tiebreakers? Say say the Nuggets end up uh, winning this game and then losing, or and and sorry, and and the Wolves lose to the Grizzlies, which would put the Nuggets one game up, but then they play each other in that final game. And if, if Minnesota beats Denver, who has the tiebreaker? Minnesota would have the tiebreaker there for head-to-head matchups. They would put them up three games to one. In fact, they will have the tiebreaker over Denver unless Denver wins the next two games because that game against Portland um, is a divisional game. And assuming Denver can tie Minnesota in the win-loss column and tie them head-to-head two-to-two, they would still need the divisional record to sort of uh, to, to pass them. So both games actually matter very, uh, very much for Denver. I think Denver almost certainly has to win both games in order to get in. If not, they're counting on some crazy things to happen, like the Pelicans losing to a tanking team and Oklahoma City, same thing. So I, I, I think the easiest way to look at it, the most likely way to look at it, is the Nuggets need to win both games. With the way that they're playing, obviously that that's a possibility that can't be counted out. We're seeing... Yeah, uh, Michael Malone pushed the minutes of his starters quite a bit. We're seeing you know, routinely 37, 38 minutes for Jokic and for Jamal Murray. We're seeing Paul Millsap get extra playing time. Will Barton's playing a ton as well. But of course, they're still missing Gary Harris. Is there any hope of him returning for these final two games? Well, he was upgraded to doubtful after <laughs> up from out. So I guess that's kind of encouraging. You know, I don't. My read on the whole thing was that he probably would not return in the season. I think if the Nuggets make the playoffs and there's a couple games break in between, he likely would be back. If not game one, certainly by game two. But I kind of got the sense that he just wasn't going to make it back in the regular season, and that that seems to continue to be the case. The Nuggets haven't all, all season long have kept injury updates very very uh, quiet. Even when Paul Millsap returned, nobody in the media knew he was coming back until the day of the game when they announced he would be back. So uh, you never know with Gary, but the re- read I get is that he's probably out for the next two games. He's been out for it's closing in on a month now. We're talking almost four weeks of absence from him. And when he got injured initially, it wasn't considered something. People didn't look at it and go, oh, this is this is terrible as soon as he went off. It didn't seem like that. Malone was playing it down. Uh, Harris was playing it down himself. But obviously, a month's absence is nothing to, uh, to um, really sneeze at there. But in his absence, a player that I assume is an afterthought to many who watch the NBA, Devin Harris has stepped up to a huge amount. They acquired him at the trade deadline for Emmanuel Moutier, and he's been a really huge part of what this Nuggets team has done, you know, stepping up and almost turning the clock back seven, eight years. 
I think the thing you look at for him that's been so impactful over the last five or six games is his three-point shooting. He's yep. 30, shooting 37% on over four attempts over his last 10 games. And you think about the loss of Gary Harris. I think the Nuggets are a little bit of a sleeping giant because all year they've had to play without one of their three most important players, either Jokic, Millsap, or Harris. When those three guys are healthy, the Nuggets are really, really, really good. And you kind of have a combination of offense and defense on the court at all times. Well, in his absence, one of the things Denver has missed is they have uh, one or two really good shooting lineups. But as soon as you go away from those lineups, you're always putting somebody out there that can't knock down shots, whether it's Torrey Craig or... or, uh, even Malik Beasley, who struggles in that role. So Devin Harris starting to take threes and make threes over this last 10-game stretch, I think has really opened up uh, the paint for those bench units to get inside and score. I'm not sure what you've heard about this, but just before we went to record, I saw a, a tweet from uh, TJ McBride saying that Tory Craig would not be converted into a full-time NBA contract, so he that would make him ineligible for the playoffs. This is something literally five minutes ago I saw that report come out. Does What does that say to you is that the Nuggets have full confidence that Harris is going to be back? Because Craig's been playing a 15 to 20 minute role right. every night since uh, Gary's been gone. That was the first thing I thought when I saw that report. And actually, I was talking to TJ right before he, he published that. Um, and I, yeah, I think uh, it, it makes a bit of sense because they would have to open up a roster spot. And I don't know that would what that would mean in terms of the end of the year if they would just buy out Richard Jefferson at the end or how, how that would work. But I do think it makes sense um, if Gary Harris came back uh, Tory Craig is probably a guy that wasn't going to play anyway. I think Tory Craig's a fantastic player, has been an incredible defensive specialist, and one of those guys that gets you three or four extra possessions each game just off of hustle. But Gary Harris is significantly more talented and helps out uh, on the offensive end so much more. One thing we know about Craig is that uh, that he doesn't have any uh, doesn't have any detractors in the uh, in the coaching staff because Michael he is definitely a, a Michael Malone favorite and Malone For has sure. made that uh, pretty clear all throughout the season. Um, it, it is going to be super intriguing, especially if the Nuggets win this game against the play, the Blazers, that last game against Minnesota is going to be fantastic. You know, right down to the wire for that last playoff spot, assuming that Minnesota takes care of business against Memphis, which they should, although they didn't a couple of weeks ago. We'll be all watching to see how that goes. And for all the analysis on the Nuggets push towards the playoffs, and if they actually get there, you can go and check out Adam on Locked On Nuggets. And of course, he hosts uh, one day a week of the Locked On NBA podcast as well. Adam, thanks for coming on and talking about this team, and, uh, and good luck. Thank you so much, Josh. I'm joined now by the host of the Locked On Pelicans podcast, Jake Madison, to talk about the New Orleans Pelicans, who are currently riding the crest of a three-game winning streak, which included a huge victory over the Golden State Warriors. Jake, thanks for coming back on to talk about this team, who who I won't say it's guaranteed, but they're looking like they're a, a decent chance of uh, cementing a playoff spot in the next couple of days. Yeah, Pelicans just need to go one in one over their next two games to solidify their chance of getting in control of their own destiny, which is a good thing and wasn't looking like it was going to be the case uh, about a week or so ago when they were riding that four-game losing streak, but seemed to have kind of gotten things right on track. Games against the Memphis Grizzlies and the Phoenix Suns are definitely going to do that and are kind of peaking at the right time to really, like you said, just cement their playoff chances. The next couple of games aren't aren't easy necessarily. I guess they've been uh, they've been favoured by the fact that the Nuggets knocked the Clippers out of contention across the weekend, and now um, we're going to have Lou Williams resting in that game most likely for uh, for the Clippers on Monday. So that eases their chances. And then in a familiar in a situation that's all too familiar for Pelicans fans, the uh, season finale is against uh, the San Antonio Spurs. Yeah, you know this game against the Clippers is going to be pretty interesting. The the Pelicans have the day off. 
in Los Angeles uh, on Sunday, which is always a bit of a danger. <laughs> L.A. nightlife, you know, still kind of undefeated here a little bit. But this Pelicans franchise really seems to have a different mentality, a different mindset than what we've seen under the Alvin Gentry tenure so far. This is a team that even when that game against the Warriors looked like it was slipping away, when all of a sudden the Warriors got up five, six, seven points, they managed to stay right in the game rather than folding. And I think you're going to kind of see a really focused team take on the Clippers Monday night. So I think this is going to be a pretty good opportunity to get that win and then go into the final game of the regular season, not needing to win just to get into the playoffs, but hopefully just kind of increase the seeding that they have. I don't think anyone wants to finish seventh or eighth in the Western Conference. And if they can finish five or six, I think that's a big boon to the Pelicans and maybe on the off chance they then get out of the first round of the playoffs. They're currently sitting half a game behind the Utah Jazz. We're recording this just before the Jazz game on Sunday tips off against the Lakers. So that position could be put almost out of reach if the Jazz get that victory there. But they sit one game out of the ninth seed, which is where Denver currently is. So it's still, again, up in the air, but a victory is going to, is going to seal their spot. Now, the last, we talked about that four game losing streak. They've won their last three, but those last three games that they've won, it's coincided with a change to the starting lineup with Nikola Mirotic coming back in and replacing Emeka Okafor, who was actually a DNPCD last game. That change, is that more to do with the fact that they've played these opponents like the Warriors and the Suns and the Grizzlies who are going pretty small to, to get Mirotic in there? Or is that something that you can see as being a permanent fixture, especially considering how well Mirotic has played, scoring at least 25 points in those three games and hitting a combined 14 triples across the triple, uh, across the three games? You know, I, I think this is more of a situational thing. The Pelicans have said since they've brought Emeka Okafor back that it's going to be situational depending on the opponent, whether he starts or not. He only plays about 10 to 15 minutes per game. And I think they just realize, like you said, those teams kind of go small. There's no kind of hulking, bruising center below the basket to really worry about. And Anthony Davis can still do his Anthony Davis things defensively. And he does have a very good claim for defensive player of the year, even if he's not going to end up winning it. Um, to, to be able to do that and not kind of have to take the beat that they want to kind of avoid from him there. So in the playoffs, depending on the matchup, I think you might see it be a Mecca Okafor, depending on whoever the matchup is there. But Miritich has finally come on strong for the Pelicans. This coincides with him shaving his beard. He said he just needed to mix something up. So he shaved his beard off the anti-Samson here to just try and do something to kind of get out of the funk he was in mentally. And it seems to have really worked. And I think right now with the offense, when you have this, and if he's scoring over, you know, 20 points per game, you've got Drew Holiday in there averaging over 20 points per game. You still have your big three, even if DeMarcus Cousins is still out. And he's so vitally important for what the Pelicans want to do offensively. He's the three-point shooting big. You've got to space the court properly for Anthony Davis, for him to go out and do work down below and not get those double and triple teams, which he sometimes consistently sees without Miritich. So him being on has just really opened up this Pelicans offense, and it's been a very good time because they had to really win these games to kind of get into the playoffs. The other difference is not only the fact that, that he is starting, but when he was coming off the bench, he was playing really limited minutes. Like the, the games in those in those losing streak of games, like he missed one of them, but he played 20 minutes, he played 29 another, and under 20 again. And we saw his minutes drop from that high 20s to low 20s to under 20 minutes per game. So it's not just a change in how the game starts off, but more a change in how they are actually using Miritich. And we know he has you know waning and waxing confidence and perhaps, you know, 
being back in that starting lineup has enabled those that confidence and that aggressiveness to enable him to play more minutes. But it is definitely an interesting scenario, and we'll see how all that you know, plays out and how they use Okafor and Miritich and and Cech Diallo, who's been putting in some some decent minutes at times uh, for this team. The Ian Clark injury. Um, People may not look at that and go, that's any sort of a big deal, but Clark had been playing very well himself. Where's he looking, and he, will he be a regular part of the playoff rotation? Yeah, you know, that that could have been a really bad injury going into this kind of final playoff push for the Pelicans. As you said, Clark had been playing incredibly, incredibly well. He was really leading that second bench unit for the Pelicans, being the leading scorer, and at times looked like the only guy on that unit that could create off the bounce, could create offense for himself. So losing him was kind of a scary moment. The Pelicans tried to replace him as best they could with Michael Jordan, Instant Grits, Crawford, whatever nickname you want to use for him at times here. Uh, but Ian Clark, it's really going to be just five to ten days he's going to be out. Should the Pelicans make it in, I think you're going to see him be part of that playoff rotation. He should be fine. Uh, I don't think this is going to last ten days. So expect to see him back for the playoffs. It definitely uh, adds an extra element of, uh, I guess, unpredictability in that backcourt rotation with you know, what are they going to – because they can – put Rondo in there for 35 minutes or if he's having a bad night, they can get Clark and Holiday running together. It definitely changes things up quite a bit. The return of Solomon Hill, though, Jake, we haven't seen him, I guess, unleashed to the full extent of how they used him last season. Is that a factor more of his recovery from his hamstring injury or the way that the Pelicans have been running all season and playing each one more at the three and having no need for Hill to be that full-time 30-minute starter? I think it's a mix of both. You've seen his minutes steadily increase almost every other game for the Pelicans since he's returned from injury, and they definitely needed this depth on the wing. As you said, Etwan Moore has kind of been out there, but Moore is is a shooting guard and is playing out of position. He has good height, and he's got a very good wingspan, but you can see he's very much overmatched on that wing position. You saw Kevin Durant take advantage of whenever Etwan Moore was guarding him the other night, and the Pelicans actually went with Drew Holiday there for the most part. Hill has that lateral quickness that at least allows him to not necessarily just you know play great defense on the elite wings of the NBA but keep up with them and hopefully slow them down a little bit to make life easier for Anthony Davis down low who does a great job of defending the rim so I think it just kind of gives the Pelicans a little bit more in their rotation they've been very thin on thin on the wing position they've just been very thin all season long so getting a guy in who can play 20 to 30 minutes per game means you can get anthony davis five more minutes here or there in the right game to give him some more rest to give him some more effective minutes to end games and that's been a very good thing for the pelicans as they try and you know get into the plans for the first time in three years jake it's going to be really fascinating to see a whether they get into the playoffs b where they end up, whether it's the four, five, six, seven, or eight seed, that's how crazy it is with only two games left. And what sort of damage Anthony Davis, Drew Holiday, and Co. can do once uh, that first round of the playoffs swings around. All that information and all the recaps and previews and all that sort of stuff will be over on Locked On Pelicans with Jake. So make sure you're checking that out. Jake, thanks for uh, coming on and some exciting times to be a Pelicans fan. Yeah, absolutely. This is going to be a fun final two games of the regular season. And that will do it for another episode of Locked On NBA. You can find me on Twitter at RedRock underscore B-Ball. I also host the Locked On Fantasy Basketball podcast five days a week. And make sure you're checking out the rest of the Locked On Podcast Network, whether that's NBA, NFL, or Major League Baseball, with our new site, LockedOnSports.com. 
Go and subscribe to this podcast and any other podcast that you enjoy across the Locked On Podcast Network, whether that be on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, or on Spotify. And if you like the show, a five-star rating and a review goes a long way to, uh, to getting this show out to more people. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.